We're just days away from the November 7th election in Virginia, and there's a lot at stake with control of both the House and Senate up for grabs. And of course, the outcome determines whether parental rights and human life will be protected in the Commonwealth long term. Plus, we talk about Britney Spears' revelation that she felt pressured into an abortion as a teen. Welcome to Speak Up Virginia, equipping you to speak up on the life, family, and freedom issues that matter most to you. From the Family Foundation, I'm your host, Candy Cushman, with our president, Victoria Cobb. Well, welcome, everybody. You'll notice that Victoria and I are twinning today. (laughs) This was not planned at all. We do not consult before the episodes. But I have to say, considering that we are on our 152nd episode, we have never had this happen to my knowledge. We're doing pretty good. I think that's good. I think that's surprising (laughs) it hasn't happened so far. So let's roll with it. (laughs) There's one difference. Victoria has a necklace cross. So technically, you're more spiritual today. Okay, we can go with that. (laughs) Yeah. All right. Well, before we jump into our topics, I did want to talk about that we seem to be having some good outcomes out of the chaos that has been in the U.S. House lately. First of all, that congressman was charged that pulled the fire alarm. I just think this is a hilarious story. And, you know, well, it's serious that he would have the audacity to pull an alarm in an effort to thwart a vote like that. But it's so funny with the denials, and then you see him in the video taking down the warning signs. I just, yeah. If you're going to make up a story, don't do it when you're on camera. I mean, what is he thinking? You can literally see what he's doing. I mean, yeah, it's embarrassing. I'm embarrassed (laughs) for him. I'm embarrassed that adults get to that point where they lie about stuff like that. I guess, you know, the non-Christian point of view would be if you're going to lie, at least lie about something smarter than that, not when you're on (laughs) camera. (laughs) But that's not really a moral worldview. No, no, the moral worldview is do the right thing at all times, and then (laughs) you don't have to lie. That (laughs) is the correct position. Then you don't have to worry about it. Correct. Um, But at least there was accountability, so that's good. But much more important was the outcome of the House Speaker. You know, after all this craziness, it looks like there's great news with that. I am so excited myself. Now, I never thought I'd say that because we watched round after round and I thought, oh, we're never going to get to a speaker. So, But I am so excited that Congressman Mike Johnson is going to be our new speaker. So he is a much lesser known congressman than probably every other person that was up for nomination. He's from Shreveport, Louisiana, which is not sort of prime time location that everybody pays attention to. Um, And the exciting part about him is he is going to be the most socially conservative speaker we've probably had in, I don't want to compare literal to literal, but I think he may almost ever. I mean, he is just phenomenal. I mean, mean, go back to Newt. (laughs) Yeah, I was going to say, we go back to at least Newt. Um, And so it's it's just, who would have thought we'd have a good outcome out of this mess? Because this was a mess. Yeah. This guy is outspoken about his biblical faith. That is encouraging. And we're going to share a little bit more about his background that I think really will encourage all of you. But before we get into that, I did want to give listeners a real quick glimpse of what a powerful warrior he has been on life and family issues. And I'm just going to play this real quick exchange that he had with an abortion advocate. I think it was last summer during a congressional hearing. Do you support partial birth abortion? In other words, the child is half delivered. And then the woman says, my right, I want to take that one out. You support that? I trust people to make decisions about the body. Wow. Okay. What what about, um, so, so abortion should be allowed then by your definition, for any reason, for any purpose, at any stage, right? 
I trust people to make decisions about their body, and then when relevant, I think that they need to consult their medical practitioners okay. and not is, if it is, Listen, let me just ask you this question. If it is not lawful and morally acceptable to take the life of a 10-year-old child, I assume you agree with that, right? That would be wrong, correct? I believe that Okay, that is and wrong. a two-year-old child, same thing, that would be murder, we would all agree that's wrong. Then what is the principal distinction between the human being that is two years old, or nine months old, or one week old, or an hour old, than one that is eight inches further up the birth canal in the utero? What, what's the difference? Why is it okay in the latter case and not the former cases? I trust people to determine what to do with their own bodies. Wow. Full stop. Wow, full stop indeed. And that describes right there exactly what this is about. There's a legal issue here, but un underneath that is a moral issue. It's about reality. It's about science, the advancement of medical technology. You're talking about unborn children. And your, your full stop is that you will support the termination of that child at any time. And that is frightening, and that is why this decision should be turned to the popular will of the people, and hopefully they'll protect the sanctity of every single human life and live up to the standards of our Declaration of Independence. I yield back. All right. Clearly, he knows how to use his attorney skills to winnow out the truth there. Um, but, you know, what I was really disturbed about was she actually seemed a little hesitant. You know, like she had to think through the logic of why it's not okay to end a 10-year-old's life. Uh, that She was hesitating with that. <laughs> he is so effective in his questioning the way he does this. And he just sort of brought up the, a very logical point. And, and he does this a lot. Actually, you'll see him. This is kind of... I would say very characteristic of him, but she was basically rendered speechless, right? Like she didn't know what to say by the time he was done questioning her. Um, and I, I think it's just this perfect illustration of how he how he uses sort of these. Um, he's brave. He's willing to ask the questions first, which yes. we have a lot of legislators that might think these things, might believe these things, but they don't actually set up the questions. And and it's really important to do that because. The media tracks all this, and this helps move the dialogue forward. So I think that's really important. Um, but I just think he's been sort of an unapologetic warrior. Um, he, his background is a man from the conservative movement. He was an attorney with Alliance Defending Freedom. Um, that's actually how we, uh, lots of us, got to know him. He's actually a friend of mine, which is a crazy thought to be friends with somebody who just became Speaker of the U.S. House of Representatives. But it was because he was in this movement early on, and um really helped us, especially we actually brought him here into Virginia to help us with the religious freedom bills. And so um, he's just been a faithful warrior on these issues. Well, as someone that is personal friends with him, what would you want people to know about him personally that would encourage them? I just don't know anybody that doesn't like him. Like, even if you totally disagree with him, you're going to want to like him because he's winsome. He's funny. He's um, he's smart. If you saw the way he set that, that up, that's very typical. Um, you know, there's a classic example that's another one where he takes a congressman's uh, congresswoman her quote from another hearing where she's talking about how juveniles brains don't fully develop and he just reintroduces that into a hearing about gender confusion and puberty blockers and yeah. it's sort of like if their brains don't develop why are we letting them change their gender but all he did was use her own quote and then set yeah. her up to react to it that's typical mike and it's you know it's just that he can take an argument and sort of set you up to have to he doesn't close the argument for you. He kind of sets up the argument yeah. for the opponent to walk right into 
their logic being inconsistent, which I think is well, fantastic. It's what a masterful attorney would do. Yes. Use the logic and the questioning to lead you to the point where that your presuppositions lead to. They, they fall apart. It's just the reality. That's why she was speechless. That's why she was speechless. And, I, and I'll say this. Besides that, um, you know, he was a senior lawyer for Alliance Defending Freedom. He helped actually found some of the pro-life marches that have happened in Louisiana. Um, he is... Uh, you know, been married for decades. He has six kids. I can't remember if he's at five or six, but he's he's got a big family. And um, I think he's just a very, very likable guy. I, ha- I hope the speakership, I don't know what we call that, but, you know, I, I hope that doesn't affect sort of um, how people view him because I think it. you can disagree with him, but he's yeah. not he's not disagreeable. Well, what's interesting is a lot of people just didn't even know who he was. They were Googling, like, even Shreveport. Like, where is that? Yeah, (laughs) there was a thing, who's Mike on the Internet? People at leadership in the house Googling it. Yeah, that's embarrassing. Yeah, (laughs) Um, but I think it kind of helped him because they didn't really know enough to bring out all this opposition. Well, that's what I had a reporter ask me about him, and that's what I told him. I said, unlike a lot of people who go in and showboat, this is a guy who went in, kept his head down, did the hard work, built real relationships with people, and then started challenging some of the mm-hmm. issues. And so I think that's kind of the path we want these guys to take to the speakership, not sort of like I make grandiose speeches, but I don't get anything done yeah. and I make everybody mad. That's kind of a more typical route <laughs> to leadership. Yeah. This was really kind of the route I hope citizens would, would want our congressmen to take to leadership. Well, how would you um, summarize the importance of having a family advocate a biblical-minded person in this position. What, what's kind of your takeaway with that? How will that really impact the issues that our country is facing? Well, I just think for once, the, the issues that we care about, about life and marriage and some of those, won't be seen as these are the things that are just, you know, problematic for Throw Republicans away. or get out of here. We're not going to talk about them. Our bills won't be automatically sort of shoved to the back because I think he does share that passion for these things. I think he'll be wise about when and how to pursue those things. And we actually need that, right? Mm-hmm. We, we, we want to actually succeed on these issues. Um, so I think that's going to be huge for just making sure that um, the, the right kinds of bills at least get a hearing, at least get a chance to move forward. All right. Well, diving into our actual topic today, which is a pre-election, or I should say election preview, um, I guess. This is going to be our last episode that airs before the election because the next one's coming out the day after. So we wanted to just kind of cover some of what's going on, help people get geared up for this big day in in Virginia's history. And uh, so I, I think I'll just start off, Victoria, first of all, Remind our listeners what's really at stake for biblically-minded voters. Well, um, pretty much every issue we care about comes down to who controls the House and the Senate. Um, If folks just think through the last session, all the things that we were advocating, like saving girls' sports and a pro-life bill, all those things died in the hands of a committee in the Senate because the Senate was controlled by liberal Democrats, really pro-abortion Democrats. And so nothing pro-life was going to get through um, and all that. So um, it's a big deal who controls not just... Um, it's not just literally like, do we have enough votes to pass the bill when it gets to the floor? It's literally who's on committees of each chamber, because that even determines whether the bill even gets a hearing, whether it even gets to the floor. So it's a big deal. And my understanding, correct me if I'm wrong, is that both the House and the Senate, it, we're looking at a four seat margin, right? It's for- very close. Uh, yes, we're it, this is this is Virginia is narrowly divided and therefore our districts are narrowly divided and it is going to be incredibly tight either way no matter how this ends up there's not yeah. going to be some landslide of one party or the other that's just so, not the case like this this past year yes. you know we had the house 
but then everything we get a lot of good stuff out of the house but then it's all blocked like you said by senate committee exactly the life bills the parental rights bills that are very important yeah the the girls sports all that and it's frustrating because that means only a few people even vote on it in the senate so you can't it's hard to even bring that issue forward in an election you know if you have a subcommittee or a committee you're talking you know at best 15 people vote on that bill and so even to raise that issue during election is hard because a lot of people technically haven't voted on it and so that's frustrating then the other way if you get the Senate, not the House, you can't get anything out, right? Correct. It's so, the same thing on the other side. Yeah. And um, yeah, we uh, a lot of folks realize that we had said leading up to the 2020, 2021 election, we have to get the governor because, of course, if you get both chambers and you don't get the governor, then you're just getting vetoed. So we handled that, right? But we didn't have a chance to elect. This is, this, is our to first, the governor. Right, this is our first shot to get the Senate so we can actually get bills all the way to his desk that he yes. can sign. Yes, and apparently he's very concerned about this too. So, yeah. but anyway, we this is going to be a real nail biter probably yes. because this is all coming down to just a few races in both the House and the Senate, especially in the Senate. Um, so we what we want to do is highlight a few of those races. We can't you know look at all of them that are at play. Our action team really has their eye on the ball with all of these <laughs> races, but we're going to pick out a few that they have advised is very important and just highlight what's going on there. Of course, we have to talk about the one that's made national news, which is the race between Republican David Owens and the Democrats. Is it Susanna? I always get it stumbled over. Susanna Gibson. Um, They're battling it out in House District 57, which covers parts of Henrico and Goochland. Yeah, this is a this was going to be a tight race because of how it's again how the lines are drawn. So what is typically a vote that happens within that district? So it was always going to be close. Um, and we're I mean I will say this I think that story. So we'll just remind our our viewers. Do we have to? I, I, they got to hear the basics. I mean, basically, the Democrat candidate performed sex online. There's more detail, but that's plenty for now. Um, and um, we think that that issue uh, that has come to light has has been public enough. It has hurt her. Um, we've seen a lot of evidence of that. Um, and I guess, you know, maybe I'll share. I did, did write an op-ed about this because I do think that there should be some disqualifying things for office. And yeah, but before you get into that, yeah. Victoria did this great op-ed in the Richmond Times-Dispatch. The headline was to the point. It was a Democratic candidate performed sex online. How is that not disqualifying? What do you think are the most important points that you want to highlight out of that op-ed that are still at play right now, you think, going into those? Well, I think a lot of people like us would immediately say the morality issue just is so concerning that this this just shouldn't be somebody that's going to represent our viewers. But I wanted to make some other points that, that maybe pull towards people who are maybe not coming from it from a biblical worldview. But the idea that this woman thought that this could happen online, that no one would find out, to me just shows a level of naivety that is actually harmful. I mean, she has children. Um, the idea that she that that she did not think, hey, this is going to come back and harm my family in particular. And, you know, we just think about all the the things we talk about and bills that we pass about online pornography, sex trafficking. These things are all knit together. And Mm -hmm. the idea that this candidate was so naive and actually participated in pornography, which fuels the sex trafficking industry, that just all of that. So even if you don't personally have the same level of I come at this from a biblical worldview, to me, a candidate should know better and should not participate in things that end up harming children in all these different ways. Yeah, and even outside of the accountability issue, 
that doesn't give me confidence that she's going to represent neutrally and objectively when these issues come in involving the porn industry, sex trafficking in our state, which is a major problem. Virginia has one of the worst problems. I'm not saying that she's supporting sex trafficking, but like you said, the there's porn a link. industry is connected. It doesn't make me feel like that there's going to be a level-headedness about that. No, so. I just think you know ahead of time it would be kind of hypocritical for her to then vote to protect everybody else from the harms that come with yeah. these. I mean, it just wouldn't make sense. And so all that to say, we've I mean, we've kind of gone a bit long on this, but all that to say that um, because the porn industry destroys lives and that she was engaged in it and that she seems to be naive about it, I feel that that's disqualifying. And um, I was um, just hoping that, you know, other folks understand this argument. So that's why I, I drew it out in an op-ed. And we do see signs that it's hurting her campaign. Um, there are actually liberal... Um, entities that put endorsements and so forth have actually pulled her off their flyers. But so we not don't, Planned Parenthood. I, They're still holding Well, them. I don't, yeah, I actually um, think that she got pulled off one of the pro-abortion group's okay. flyers, which I thought was interesting. But all that to say, she's still who they want, but they're scared mm. to put, some of these groups and other politicians are a little scared to put their name next to it. Well, I'm glad we have some level of morality out there. Yeah, we, we have, were out in that district um, last weekend and uh, we saw some of the Planned Parenthood flyers and they only had Skylar Van Volkenberg. See, so. they're even running from her. So I think that's a good sign. Okay. I think that's shows we're headed in the right direction on that district. So let's hope we pull that one out. Well, you know, we've talked a lot about Susanna Gibson, but we haven't given a lot of attention to her opponent. You know, maybe we should at least tell people who he is, you know, because sure. she's gotten all the national news. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about David Owens. So, yeah, so she's running against David Owens. He's, the, he's been the president of a home building association. So he comes from kind of the business community. And um, I think he put, appears to have been just a good upstanding citizen. And <laughs> apparently that's an issue in this race. So I, I think... Um, and he's pro-life. Oh, yeah, he's conservative. He, yeah. he absolutely... I think when we had our interview with him, you know, we interviewed candidates to find out what they believe to help with our voter guide process and all that. I think we would be very pleased with how he votes based on what he's told us so far. All right. Well, let's move to another interesting race, and that's the one between York County Sheriff Danny Diggs and the incumbent Democrat Senator Monty Mason. Now, this is Senate District 24, which includes parts of Newport News and the Peninsula. Considering that Monty Mason has been in the General Assembly, either as a representative or a senator, for at least a decade, this would be a pretty big deal if he was unseated, right? Yeah, it would be a big deal. And I have to remind people that we've had redistricting, right? So there's this whole new map. So even people who have been there for a lot of years are not necessarily representing exactly the same district that they were before. And so he has some new voters in his area. So that's one thing that you know kind of helps this race is that people get to decide for the first time, is that the guy I want, even though he's been there? There. Um, but it is a big deal that that this is a really tight race and we have an opportunity to get him out. And I, I, I say we have an opportunity to get him out because um, he's been such an advocate against parental rights. And I think we should just remind right. our, our folks that he got caught on a hot mic speaking about basically mocking parental rights. And so, yeah, I kind of yeah, think it's time for him to, you know, stop trying to pretend he represents parents because clearly he doesn't. Yeah, I think he was even he and this other person were saying that parental rights is garbage and even stupid. So let's just listen to a television report on that real quick. Online parental garbage. The bill says you have to have parental consent. I mean, <laughs> that is true. Mason did say that. 
We asked Mason, do you wish you had not used those words? Of course, it was, in, it was inarticulate. What did you mean by that? That was in reference to one particular piece of legislation, and it had to do with online uh, shopping and e-commerce. And my opponent is using that as the foundation of his campaign. That is true, and Diggs welcomes the opportunity to talk about it. It must be Terry McAuliffe uh, 2.0. Well, I do think in full disclosure, I need to say that Danny Diggs and his wife are longtime supporters of the Family Foundation. And parental rights, of course, is one of our major issues. And so I think he is a sincere believer in parental rights. And I think Senator Mason really handed him a uh, gift by just literally saying the quiet part out loud. Right. We say they're not supposed to say that, but then he did. So, yeah, to that point, I really hope it is another McAuliffe 2.0 in that sense. But it looks like this is going to be another nail biter right down to the wire. Uh, and there's there's another really close race that we're looking at in Senate District 31 that I want to squeeze in here real quick. That's in Loudoun and the northern half of Fauquier County. And that one's between Juan Pablo Segura, a Republican business owner and entrepreneur, and Russet Perry, a Democrat former prosecutor. Now, this race looks super close, at least at the time that we're recording this. It looks like it could even possibly end up in a recount. Um, but what's interesting in all three of these races that we've just highlighted is the extent to which the Democrats are banking on abortion being their central issue that's going to help push them over the edge. Yeah, it does not matter really what district you're in or what who the candidates are. They made abortion the number one issue and they tied everyone to it. And that's what's interesting, especially as these are some of these guys are brand new. They don't have a voting right. It's not like Pablo, mm. Senate, you know, has yeah. a Senate incumbency or something where he they can rely on but they they really do and in fact I, I they even go as extreme as in one particular ad blitz um, where they paint Republicans as extremists they actually went after um, Fredericksburg um, somebody that's running for Senate it's Tara Durant she's yeah. currently a house member running for Senate and they basically went after her and they uh, they they said that she is letting Virginia force a 10 year old rape victim to carry to term right this is taking it's just outrageous yeah, first of all um, this is just just as a reminder there's a, not that this is not a horrible thing that, 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 that if this ever happened it would be absolutely horrible but it is the smallest percentage that even is a rape example of abortion, but they like to use that. And then, of course, to go to the youngest possible child. I mean, this is really sad that they are, um, I think, just baiting people into looking horrible. Well, they want to paint this picture that Republicans are going to jail women. Correct. And have these nightmare scenarios like with the 10-year-old girl. Um, what what is the truth behind that fear mongering? What's the reality? Well, the thing is, they're they just they're they're trying to dodge their own extreme nature on this. Like they're trying to hide the fact that it's their party that's standing for abortion up until the moment of birth, and even after, if you're Ralph Northam, I mean, that's their party. Or or that clip that we showed of Mike Johnson and this 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 you know having this conversation where they can't even rationalize they can't even their position is not even so rational extreme. enough that because they're yeah. so extreme but the stakes are just so high and i think in particular because virginia is the last southern state that has after the Roe decision was overturned all the other southern states have done more to protect human life and we haven't so they feel like the stakes are just yeah, incredibly we're the, we're high the last holdout yeah hold out in a wrong way at a southern you know, states yeah for, i mean yeah everybody else has done something like a heartbeat bill or yeah. some kind of protection 
so that they feel like we've got to hold Virginia to be this pro-abortion, I hate to say it, we've talked about this before, destination mm-hmm. state where people can yeah. come. That is that is a horrible thing, and that is what's at play at this race, and they're making it very clear. I think going back to the Mike Johnson exchange is important because she literally couldn't draw the line from the time the baby comes out of the birth canal because even. you can't because they're alive before they're alive after it's a short passage through a birth canal that that is they, they can't um there's a there's no moral distinction yeah that's and the they real know extremity that. they know that extremism yeah the, yeah all right well the bad news that we have in all this is that it looks like polling is indicating that all this democrat po- propaganda um on the abortion issue is swaying the public that it is moving the needle. Um, I know earlier this summer we saw the Yunkin campaign trying to put out there that the 15-week ban is a good place of consensus, um, a place that, that different people of different parties can meet and build bridges, and they felt like the public would agree on that. And maybe at first they did, but now it looks like the polls have changed on that. Yeah, we did have a larger lead in earlier polling around the 15-week. More of a majority agreed with us. And I think it's just a temporary hit, meaning you're just getting pounded with pro-abortion ads. And so the public now looks more evenly divided on that mm-hmm. issue. Um, I don't think it's where they actually stand. In moments where you're just pounding messages, um, people get confused. And I, I do think they'll come right back because it's logical. This is about pain. People know what a 15-week baby, I mean, like th- this has become, it's not like this is, you know, these positions back in the day where you didn't have beautiful color ultrasounds and you didn't, they were more excusable, but now people know what's going on in the womb. And so I really do believe people will come back to where they need to be, but they've done, the Democrats have done a good job of trying to persuade voters. And um, they've taken the position that any, any restriction at all is somehow um, an extreme position that if you have any kind of a pro-life protection, that's extreme. And that's scary that the public could fall for that. We don't want to see that. In case in case people aren't as familiar with the 15-week ban, what, what Yunkin, where he was trying to land was 15 weeks is generally thought to be the point at which babies feel pain. Yes. And so um, a ban after that, a ban on abortions after that, is that right? Yes. And it's, it's just kind of a, a place where obviously the pro-lifers do not think this is protecting enough human life because a lot mm-hmm. of abortion happens before 15 weeks. So we'd love to see something much better than that. But the reality is because Virginia is so narrowly divided, he's saying, I think we can agree on this because of the pain perspective. And, I, and he had polling to back that up. Mm-hmm. And um, and I do think we can get a majority of Virginians there. And I think that that at least at minimum, that could be done. I think mm-hmm. I'd like to see obviously more from our organization. We, you know, we. Yeah, the story. <laughs> yeah, this isn't like where we're happy about that. That's, you know, the that story's that's not over. On Correct. This. Right. Um, but there there also is some good news on the polling showing that when it comes to education issues, all these parental rights issues, voters just do not trust Democrats and leftists. Yeah, I think issue. they've because they've heard people like Senator Mason on record <laughs> saying what he actually believes about <laughs> yeah. education and parents. Um, so, yes, I think actually it's it's a really good thing because, it you know, for a long time, somehow Democrats are always seen as the trusted party on education. And I think that has really changed. Yeah. Um, and I think that was because of funding or, you know, there was this idea that like teachers unions were controlled mm-hmm. by Democrats and somehow they I think that has all changed because parents are aware that what the direction that that's all been going hasn't done anything. Our actual ed- education standards are sliding and there's indoctrination in schools and parents are. So that's a very good thing. It's just which issues captivate the voter when they actually go in to pull the lever for who they're going to vote for. Well, on that issue, we've been seeing some polls showing as high as, as far as people um, supporting parental rights, as high as 65, 67%. And that's true also on this issue of female sports. We've been wanting 
students, female students, to have their sports teams protected. That's yeah, very high. That's a that's a, a a fairness issue that a lot of families feel like they're going to encounter because they have daughters in sports, and I think they kind of are really. That is a very strong majority support. You could be Republican, Democrat. You could be biblical worldview, total secularist, and you're you're probably going to land in the hey, girls deserve to only have to compete yeah. against girls. So that's a very good thing. Um, and I think you got to also talk about this. Just this, the reality that our races fall within the context of the national sort of view yeah. of things. But real quick, I, yeah, okay, I just gonna... want to mention we are also doing well, conservatives doing well when it comes to economy and inflation. I just yes, that's fair. That is fair. Yes. And and that's pretty logical if you know what's going on right now and who's in leadership. Yeah. But, I mean, that gets into your next point. Yeah, I think... <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, Biden's not doing well in polling with popularity, right? No. So. And this thing, this I'm amazed that this affects our election so much because really the president's popularity really doesn't have impact on what actually ends up happening in our General Assembly. But for some reason, this is obviously, it's just a general how do voters feel about the country and they're going to vote for the party that they feel best about. And so when the the president is reaching all-time disapproval ratings, like literally almost hitting records on how much people do not approve of President Biden or think he's doing a good job, those questions that we've asked for, I mean, every president for decades, He's really hitting some lows. So that's one component. And the other thing that's actually super helpful is that our governor, who is a Republican, is hitting highs. And he's out there with the Parents Matter message. And he's super popular. Um, I think we saw his approval ratings are kind of, a you know, they're they're 53, 55 percent. Yeah. I mean, that's actually I know that sounds I, I think it's a 10 tight to 11 point advantage over the, Biden. Yes, yeah. exactly. So um, that helps. That helps. How, how does it help, Victoria? Can it help these state candidates? Will that help us going into election day? I mean, how, explain that to us a little bit, how Biden's weakness or lo- low popularity levels and, and uh, Youngkin having high, how does that actually play into, is is there a downdraft, I guess is what you might call it? Yeah, because people, if they generally feel bad about the direction of the country led by the president, they're going to pick what they consider a change, right? They want something different. And so they're going to pick the opposite party. So that's one component. And then the governor, not only is it helpful that he's popular, but he's using his popularity. He is out there working incredibly hard in these elections. So Republicans have an advantage. And this is an advantage that we have not had, uh, you know, on the conservative side for a long time. We haven't had a person trumpeting our issues that is at a statewide office like a governor out there campaigning for our folks because it's been a a couple of terms since we've had a conservative governor. And B, even if you go back to the years of Governor McDonnell, because of what happened that was unfortunate, he ended up he ended up getting exonerated for it. But he was under scandal at the end when we were running our elections. He couldn't go out there and fundraise and work for the elections. So this thing where our governor is popular, he's touting our kinds of messages. And same with the messages that the kinds of candidates we want to see walking into office. That should matter. All right. Well, just to kind of summarize, let me throw this question at you. So you've got, okay, we've, we've seen some disappointment pointing, polling on moving the needle on abortion issues, but we're, we're conservatives are up when it comes to education, economy, things like that. You've got a governor that's popular and helping. So why is it all still a nail biter? Um, what what should be people be expecting? How do you want to summarize for them what to expect going into election night? Yeah, I- all of this has to be tempered with Virginia is just a completely divided state. And there's no way to get around that. We, if you just ask people or you don't even have to ask them, if you just look at how people have voted in previous elections, we are just, you know, yeah. half red, half blue. You know, I mean, it's just very, very tight. And so what what it means is that 
all these elections are going to, I mean, these control of the chambers is going to come down to a, a couple of races on the House, a couple of races in the Senate. I mean, it's, it's really going to come down to it's that. Amazing. And they're going to be tight races. I would expect, and Virginia has actually a, a, almost a reputation of how tight our races are. So we, I mean, you can look at one of the key districts is, is Greenhall's district. And she, I mean, it was like a hundred some votes yeah. last time. But even beyond that, in, in 2019, the control of the House was determined because one district went to a tie and they literally had to pull a name out of the canister. And he happened to be the Republican candidate. So he gets the seat and then they get control of the House. That's how tight things get. So people should expect these are going to be, you know, a couple hundred votes here or there. And that we hopefully will know the next day. We've gotten used to these elections where we don't even get our outcomes, you know, yeah. until I'd love to believe that night we're going to know. I don't even know. Um, you okay. know, they don't officially put them in until Friday. So I, anyway, who knows? Obviously, the bottom line is this is not the one to sit out. You need to get out there and vote now. Um, it's not movie night on election night. No, but <laughs> we do have something exciting on election no. night. I want to make sure we mention that yeah. folks can be a part of After you have voted. Yes, after, after the, you voted. Yeah. Um, for the first time ever, our action team is doing a live online breakdown of the election results on election night. I think it starts at 8 p.m., they're going to bring in some experts from across the state, including Representative Nick Freitas, who always makes things fun. Yes. And, so. you know, you'll hear from a candidate or two that's one of the ones that were in, in races and some consultants that really, I mean, deep dive, you know, because how many of us watch the election night and we're sitting there and we're watching our ABC, NBC, whatever. And it's just like a little ticker tape across the bottom and it's only showing the local races. And, you know, like I'm in the Richmond area and these aren't the tight. I mean, a couple of them in Henrico. But like you're wondering what's going on in the Senate race up. And well, this is how people are going to be able to yeah. actually track it as our folks are going to say, here's the tight races. We know which ones this whole thing's going to come down to. Yeah. And here's how it's going. So, so I think you won't want to miss it. Our very own Jesse and Bruce are going to bring the real story. They're better than the ticker tape. If you want to register for that, make sure you get to watch this live. Um, just make sure you go to our banner on familyfoundation.org. Look for the banner, Battleground Virginia Votes 2023. That's Battleground Virginia Votes 2023. Look for the web banner at familyfoundation.org. All right. Well, to wrap up our show today, I think we can kind of go full circle back to the abortion issue, back to what we were talking about at the beginning with Representative Mike Johnson questioning that abortion advocate. And really what you heard from her was essentially the my body, my choice theme. And the reason I bring that up is because, you know, it's not just lawyers that can dismantle that. We also have a lot coming out of Hollywood lately that is also poking a hole in that whole refrain. We we had talked about some other Hollywood quotes previously, but today comes from a surprising uh, source. You may have seen over the last few weeks these these comments coming out from Britney Spears. Yeah, well, so she just released her kind of tell-all memoir, which... <laughs> Those things are always interesting. But anyway, her memoir called The, the Woman in Me. And um, she drops this bombshell revelation in her book that she was basically pressured into or felt pressure into having an abortion during the time that she was dating Justin Timberlake. And so the media has been all over this talking about it. Yeah, like you say, I'm not a huge fan of the tell-off format and the idea of kind of dishing out dirt about a relationship that, I don't know, was some 20 years ago. Um, but I think it is important to talk about it. And I am glad that she exposed how she felt as, as a teenager about this abortion, because you do not hear this side of the story. You just hear people in Hollywood saying, I celebrate my abortion and it freed me. It gave me freedom. Um, but but Brittany was brave enough to share the, the trauma of this experience. Tell us a little bit about that. 
Yeah, so, I mean, it starts with the fact that she just is, it's it's kind of, I mean, it's just heartbreaking because she talks about how, first of all, it's a teenage pregnancy, and so all of that right in there, and it was a surprise to her, but she, in her mind, quote, it wasn't a tragedy. I just loved Justin so much. I always expected us to have a family together one day. So it was kind of this unexpected pregnancy, but she actually apparently kind of greeted it with, okay, this is kind of the next step. Yeah. But then she goes on to explain that Justin definitely didn't want the pregnancy, didn't, they felt that they were too young, that it was too early. And she makes clear, quote, if it had been left up to me alone, I would have never done it. But so that's where clearly this was not just my body, my choice for Brittany. Right. It, it, w it was not that for her. Um, but, you know, the most agonizing thing about it to read about in this memoir is the pain of the actual abortion process that she went through. She talks about how they were trying to keep the abortion out of the public eye. So they did an at home procedure, which involved taking pills. And according to reporters that are starting to put out there what's in this book, um, she said, quote, we also decided on something that in retrospect wound up being, in my view, wrong. And that was that I should not go to a doctor or hospital to have the abortion. And then she describes taking these pills and afterward having this excruciating, unbelievable pain. Yeah, and don't forget, she was told, you'll, you'll feel some pain, but you'll be fine. Like, basically... She actually kind of quotes, and I guess that's whoever provided her with the pills, that it was going to be not that big of a deal. And she basically says, oh, no, yeah, it was a big deal. And she outlines the experience. And she says, you know, she went in the bathroom and she stayed there for hours lying on the floor sobbing and screaming. I mean, it's terrible. She, um, It says, I went down to the ground on my knees holding the toilet. And then she even talks about Justin kind of coming in trying to comfort her. And and she actually says, I I." I I wanted to feel numb. Why wasn't I get, like I need an anesthetic? She yeah. she gets she points at like I shouldn't I shouldn't I have had something to reduce this pain? And then she says like they didn't take me to the hospital. Like this is this her experience actually is so similar to Abby Johnson in the movie Unplanned. Yeah. If people are familiar with this, the, the way a chemical abortion rolls out tends to look almost exactly like this. And she's just laying it out there for the world. This was not good. And you have said on this show and elsewhere over and over. This is why you're warning women. We are warning women. This is not equi the equivalent of taking an Advil. No. When people act like abortion pills are just another form of Tylenol, it, it is not that. You have not... I don't think you could say that enough. No, we need, I, I hate to say it, these are horrible stories, but they need to get out in the public to counter the idea that is being fed from the abortion industry that this is just, yeah, just taking a yeah. pill, no big deal. And I'm, I'm glad she was willing to say it, even though I'm sorry that she had this experience. I wish she could have kept her, kept her child. And I, I, I'm, I'm sad that, you know, that she is having to talk about this at all. And also these stats, I think, are very important, um, showing that 60% of women who had abortions faced high levels of pressure to abort. And it, it's clear when you look at these studies that most of these women wanted more support coming around them in this. Um, and I think that's a, really a huge flag that we should be looking at. Well, we've even tried to pass legislation around coerced abortion. And what's amazing to me is the same people that say, my body, my choice, that push a feminist line. Don't come on board with, okay, at least it should be her choice. Like, that should be something you'd think the left and the right, the pro-abortion and pro-choice people could actually agree on, that at least it is actually her choice. That is an interesting point. Yeah. Yeah. 
All right. Well, thank you for joining us today. That includes our episode. Appreciate you being with us for Speak Up Virginia. Don't forget to join us for the live stream from our action team on election night at 8 p.m. Sign up for that at familyfoundation.org. And also remember to share our playlist so that more people can hear this information that we're trying to get out there to, to share the truth about what's going on in our culture. So share the Speak Up Virginia playlist. And remember, we are stronger when we speak together.